Welcome to the Scalable Solutions Podcast. If you're looking to scale or start a successful online business up to $10 million, but have struggled to scale the three marketing mountains of copywriting, e-commerce, and digital marketing, the Scalable Solutions Podcast is your new base camp. You now have a serial entrepreneur behind you who's reached multiple summits of success to answer your questions so you can scale and start a successful online business. All right, well, let's pray and let's uh, let's jump in. Welcome back to the Scalable Solutions Podcast. Uh, today, we are blessed to have the co-founder of Faith-Based Investing, uh, Wes, with us uh, today. And he is going to be talking about faith-based investing. What is faith-based investing? What does it mean for us? How should we think about it? Wes, welcome to the Scalable Solutions Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So tell us uh, a little bit about your story and, and how did you get started thinking about faith-based investing? Yeah, I grew up in a missionary family. So expressing values and, and seeing and um, came to know Jesus at a young age, but initially went into the military. So I was a um, naval aviator uh, around the world fighting ISIS, Al-Qaeda, and um, all the conflicts that we've been involved in for the last um, 20 years or so. Um, and I jumped into wealth management in 2015, uh, initially with high net worth families working um, primarily on meeting their financial goals through um, things like mutual funds and ETFs. And I immediately looked for ways to express my values through those investments. But um, as, as I've gotten to share with you a little bit, that I was kind of frustrated with what I found in what was then kind of known as faith-based investing mm -hmm. and, um, and kind of let it go because I was passionate about issues like slavery in the world and human trafficking and, um, and, and healthcare for the poor, but really was just finding things like let's get tobacco and alcohol out of the portfolio and um, let's get anybody who supports an LGBT life, lifestyle out of the portfolio. And as I was researching, it just kind of got frustrated. But what really drew me back into it was I got a chance to be um, a general partner in a private equity fund with some guys who love Jesus. And we just met amazing entrepreneurs that were changing the world and growing, growing businesses fast. And um, those entrepreneurs really kind of converted me back through a series of just seeing incredible companies doing incredibly well for the right reasons and loving people and growing because of it that I kind of came back to the, a couple of years later to see, can this be done in the, in the public markets? And, um, and what I found as I was looking, finding companies like Praxis and Eventide and Guidestone, and that there really was, um, there were, um, it's a little bit different in the public markets, how you express your faith and how you express your values than in a private company where you're face-to-face -face with the CEO. Um, but there were really skilled operators, really skilled fund managers that were doing their best and, and doing incredibly well at both uh, aligning values and creating financial value. So yeah, that was kind of how I got into it. I'm full, most of my time now is, is spent on private markets, both in real estate and venture, uh, and also in the faith-based investing uh, .co that, um, that we're talking about as well. 
Cool, cool. Well, that's very interesting. So it, it almost sounded like if I heard you right, your initial research led to some skepticism about like, hey, is this even possible? And then what's the best way to do that? Um, can you give us a story about like someone who kind of brought you back around? You said two years later, you kind of dove back in again. Um, what did that look like? Yeah, one company that uh, I still get to do some work with today that um, just blew me away was a company called Liveful. And they originally just had a kind of the best bug, re bug repellent in the world. And but what they did is they said, um, we're going to try to solve all these. De There's something on three quarters of a million people are dying of, of mosquito borne uh, diseases every year. Hmm. Let's let's try to build for the poor. <laughs> and they they said, all right, we're going to build our product for people living on two dollars and fifty cents a day. Wow. And I saw them actually doing that where people folks living on a couple dollars a day in Nigeria or Ghana were paying for their own solution to malaria in a scalable way. They're creating jobs, seeing that company grow, save lives, create jobs all at the same time. I went, whoa, that was one of those aha moments of, okay, if Liveful can do this mm -hmm. in bug repellents, what's possible else, elsewhere? That's really cool. That's really cool. Um, okay. So, how many years have you been at this? Like, when did you start faith-based investing? How would you define faith-based investing? I think I was accidentally involved in faith-based investing starting in 2016, getting involved in some of these investments that I thought were just for profit and then coming to find out that these companies were making a really cool impact. <laughs> Explicitly started building portfolios um, with two aligned values in 17 and 18. We launched Eagle Venture Fund in 2017, specifically Christian founders trying to change the world, try these liveful-led companies. Um, and um, so it kind of since 16 and 17. And um, what is faith-based investing? Simply put, it's expressing values through through with your money. It's mm -hmm. taking a dollar and expressing values with it. It really bends into it. How do you do that is really three different ways. You avoid things that you really disagree with or that are harming people. Great examples are tobacco companies or pornography companies. Um, that's part of it. It's embracing things that are really redemptive. Uh, Liftful is a great example of a um, uh, of a embrace. So companies that are creating true value in the world and then engaging. So you have a voice as a, um, as a shareholder and there's incredible good that's been done. There's stories, um, the um, Praxis Mutual Funds likes to talk about the story of um, chocolate production and Nestle was hammered year after year for um, child labor being used in their, um, in their chocolate production. And over a number of years of shareholders voicing and saying, hey, this is not okay. You have to get child labor out of the, out of your supply chains. They have actually made changes over time. <laughs> so, and there's, there's a long history of that. And the church has actually been a big part of it from the apartheid in South Africa and, and different elements like that. We have a voice as, um, as shareholders. So those, in terms of the how it's avoiding things you um, disagree with or harming the world. It's embracing redemptive things and it's using your voice as a shareholder. Hmm. 
That makes sense. I was uh, checking out your site, faithbasedinvesting.co, and I was reading about uh, kind of your why behind what you're doing. And you were talking a little bit about uh, the U.S. economy supporting slavery, and it was eye-opening to me. Can, can you uh, give me the backstory on that? Yeah, absolutely. There's something, um, it's a little bit higher actually this year due to COVID. There's probably 46 million slaves in the world right now. And a great number of them are in some part supported by American consumers. Um, one of the founders that we get to work with at, um, that started a company called Freedom, um, he actually in a previous um, project started something called made in a free world and it was just a site where you could plug in here's my basic profile of what i'm spending in america and it would spit out how many slaves you were uh, essentially um, had working for you through the through the supply chain system um, so that was an investment where we made we're trying to help companies use their spend data to um, to make an influence where a company like boeing would say okay i gotta get uh, forced labor out of my supply chain how do I do it? And they're tech enabling that process. Uh, but that's really exciting to take something like massive problem, like 46 million slaves and say, okay, there's the spend data here in the US. How do we use the spend out of America to create pressure to eliminate modern day slavery? How much pressure uh, typically needs to be created to gain the momentum to kind of get companies to adjust their actions? I think the short answer is I don't know. I think it is a concerted effort where it's a mix of um, Australia, Germany, and Canada have all put, put out legislation around companies have to be able to prove that they're vetting um, modern day slavery out of their supply chains. Hmm. Then there's the piece to play like these businesses that make it easy and make it actually doable. Hmm. Um, and then there's people actually shifting, uh, shifting their purchasing power and how that trickles all the way down to the fifth level subcontractor that actually was, um, was getting the 10 year old to go pick chocolate mm. is a very, very complex problem. Mm. But I know that we have the tools right now to take our billions of purchasing power and shift them and just start exerting pressure down that supply chain to where it becomes harder and harder and harder to take a 10 year old and go um, uh, put him to work supply um, in, um, in chocolate or something like that. So. so you had this desire to maximize positive impact and, and then you began, uh, was it, you started looking at portfolios with that goal in mind of maximizing positive impact. Can you tell us a little bit about that journey, uh, what you found, what uh, has kind of been eye-opening for you? Yeah, reframing it into this idea of trying to maximize positive overall positive impact and in it hand in hand with financial return was a big deal for me because Previously, the narratives that had I had choked on were basically like, let's get the portfolio clean and then try to hold on to performance. Like, here's all the bad things happening. And there's some weird assumptions that go into something like, let's get a portfolio clean. So when I reframed it to say, okay, I have two mandates. One as a portfolio advisor is to express the values 
express my clients values express my values of trying to make as much positive impact in the world as possible and one element of that is get things that hurt the world out that's one easy way to increase the overall positive impact and the other is the total financial return reframing it into that totally changes the conversation from people arguing about which things should be cut out of their portfolio which is really just not a very constructive argument to have people having to lining your portfolios up side by side and saying who's making more positive impact mm -hmm. and why mm -hmm. now that's kind of an interesting conversation to line your portfolio up to your next to your neighbor and say hey i'm dealing with malaria and i'm dealing with uh with modern day slavery what are you doing mm -hmm. um like well i and that that actually is a positive conversation to just get creative and maybe they say well i'm, I'm touching um clean water solutions and things like that um it's a it's totally different and reframing that conversation got it got it exciting to me mm. from clean enough to who's making the most impact that is interesting yeah for sure so uh the the idea of the portfolio lineup so uh for somebody who knows nothing about portfolios like myself um how do i do that what what does that process look like um, I'm assuming faith-based investing, uh, has thought through that, that process and how you can, uh, bring, you know, uh, value and services to, uh, believers that want to line up their portfolio. For most people, the, the short answer is that they're probably going to find an advisor who's, who's really good at taking those two mandates and, uh, an engaged advisor who's really good at it. And we actually had a whole journey where I just kept having friends saying, how do I do what you do is really cool. How do I do it in my Roth IRA? And at first my kind of um, simplistic answer was, okay, I'll just print it. And so we used to print a newsletter saying, here's the 10, 10 mutual funds that have the most impact and the most financial return in our, in our opinion. And we had some subscribers, but as we were talking to people, they were, um, that were subscribed, they were like, well, thanks for trying to solve the problem, but honestly, I don't want to go into Schwab and buy a ticker. Can you find me an advisor who does this? Mm -hmm. And we heard that enough. And finally we're like, wait a second. Most people are not actually wanting my, uh, my newsletter to say, here's the 10 tickers. Most people want to either turn their advi their advisor onto enough materials that their advisor can start doing this for them. Mm -hmm or find an advisor who's really good at it. And that's why we launched faithbasedinvesting.co because there was no place to easily find awesome vetted advisors who specialize in this. So what does that look like uh, for me? <clears throat> Choosing an advisor, uh, I don't even know where to start, like what things I should be looking for in an advisor. Is that something that faith-based investing kind of like surfaces and kind of walks me through? Uh, what does that, what does that look like? Yeah, there's definitely, there's two main functions that most advisors um, have. One is financial planning and that's, okay, what are your goals? Come up with a big plan to say, okay, I want to send my kid to college in 10 years. How do I get there? and then pulling together a plan, or I want to retire in X number of years. That's financial planning. And mm -hmm. it's looking at insurance, looking at debt, things like that. Um, and Kingdom Advisors, if you're familiar with them, do it does a great job of integrating biblical wisdom into financial advice. So we actually 
and they're so good at it that we said, we're only going to use Kingdom Advisors um, on our platform. The other half of um, wealth management is investing and, um, and advisors and uh, going and saying, okay, here's the certain amount of assets, go and do, a great, do great work at managing portfolios. And for that side, that's where we needed to find a subset of those kingdom advisors who do a great job at financial planning from a biblical worldview, and, but are also very good at saying at portfolio management in a way that expresses Christian values. Mm -hmm. So, so those are the things, the main functions to watch out for. Also watching out for, um, there's a couple different ways that advisors get paid. Sometimes it's all based on commission for selling insurance products. Um, I was a, um, when I was directly advising clients, I was a, uh, a fee-only advisor. And so only just taking a fee and going and getting to look the world over and pick the best for it, which I love that setup. But there are some advisors who do a hybrid of taking a fee and some commission. Um, so we we're, we look for advisors who as, as, ascribe to the full fiduciary standard, um, which is means very specifically that they're always looking out for the best interest of their client. Kind of crazy that they're advisors who um, who don't subscribe to that, but um, and for ones who are almost all their income is coming from just that pure fee, go look for the best thing for their client or 100 percent. And as we think and kind of wrap up our time here and we think about biblically responsible investing or high impact investing, um, what do you see for the future uh, of, you know, this topic and, and kind of the future of faith-based investing? Where, where do you see things heading, uh, if that's even possible to, to look forward a little bit? Um, is this trend going to be continuing? Is it growing? Um, what does it look like? It is growing off the charts. And I would, my, my prediction is that in whether the language is dual mandate or not, that in 10 years, every advisor is going to be expected to not only do a great job on the financial side, but also to express their clients' values. And you can see it on things like, um, when Deloitte and some of these big folks do polls of what are people looking for, 70% of investors are looking to have conversations with their advisors about how to express their values, but something on the order of 10, 15% of advisors are doing anything like that. Mm -hmm. And for millennials, it's then in the 90s. Mm. Millennials want to express their values with money. Um, and, um, and most people want to express their values with money. And then you just see it in the asset flows as well for socially responsible investments. It was about 5 billion a year that was flowing in. Last I checked in 2020, we were on track for, to jump up to 40 billion. Um, and so just absolutely screamed through the roof. Um, I would have to check me on those numbers, but it was, um, it was a massive uptick and we're something on the order of trying to remember um, the last numbers I saw, but it's many trillions have moved into some form of environmentally, socially responsible investing. The, the asset flows are really, really significant because the entire entirety of society is saying, oh yeah, waking up to this idea that maybe their money is doing things that they consider unthinkable mm -hmm. and uh, they want their, their values to be expressed. Mm -hmm. And for some people that's different. For Christians, it's going to look um, something on the order of expressing biblical values. So 25% um, of America roughly is, a, is like going to church and, re and 
uh, and involved. So in America, you're looking at um, we're something close to 30 billion of assets under management and faith-based investing now. The total addressable market's probably several several trillion if you use the rough math. Um, I would I would expect it to grow um, just incredibly in the next few years. Mm. Wow, that sounds really significant. And uh, we really appreciate you making time to tell us uh, a little bit about it. So uh, thank you so much, Wes. Um, what is the best way for people to get in touch with uh, faith-based investing and, and the uh, amazing financial guides uh, and uh, folks that you have there uh, available to them? Yeah, going to the website is the is the best thing, faithbasedinvesting.co. And we have all our advisors where you can just look through what they specialize in, what they're best at, or, or you can fill in, here's, here's what I'm looking for, and we can help you pick. Um, like, try to make it as easy as possible. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, thanks again for joining us. And thank you to all our listeners. Uh, we'll be sure to include the link uh, in the episode uh, description. So feel free to click on faithbasedinvesting.co and check out Wes's full story there. I found it very interesting myself. And uh, Wes, thank you again and have an awesome day. Thank you.